Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Naked Gun Edition. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. With me, my partner in crime and your guru, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. What do you have for us today, Tom? I was surrounded by pimps, racists, and... <laughs> I'll start again. <laughs> Ra- racist is what I'm thinking. Rapist was what I was trying to say. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever needed a second take. Hang on. That's true. <laughs> I was surrounded by pimps, rapists, and murderers. It was like being in the stands of a Los Angeles Raiders game. Oh, fuck. Forgot about that line. <laughs> I... I use that line less for its uh, comedic value and more for its kind of relevance to Southern California, where we are recording this podcast. <laughs> True. Having been to a Los Angeles Raiders game, uh, I feel this is the closest I get in this movie to understanding. Um, <laughs> I went the to tone a Los. Of it. I went to a Los Angeles Raiders game. It had to be within a week or two of the Los Angeles riots. Wow. Yeah. Well, but both the Raiders and the Los Angeles riots feature in this movie. Yes. As do Los Angeles City High Schools and <laughs> I mean they're they're sparing no expense at the derision yeah, they're where they're willing to sling in this movie. Yeah, and there's really there's really no sense of too soon. <laughs> No, exactly right. Too soon has not entered these filmmakers' vocabularies. Nope. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're of course talking about The Naked Gun. Actually, sorry, it's not the, just <laughs> Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult. This is a 1994 movie directed by Peter Sagal this time, Tom. Mm. Here Where are a list of. From? Yeah, here are a list of his other accomplishments. Tommy Boy, My Fellow Americans. Okay. Nutty Professor 2, Anger Management, The Longest Yard. More recently, Get Smart, Grudge Match, and My Spy. That's fascinating because all those movies, bar one or two, are all sort of pitched at the same level of quality. Yeah, exactly. Like it's... It's almost like his his uh, his directorial presence on a movie is a sort of a guarantee of a of a a certain quality. Of a, yeah, well, I can't think of too many too many direct. You know, it's like it's not highs or lows. It's like we're never going to get above of the road. It's like we're never going to get above this line. Right, exactly. Is what it's telling me. We won't go below this line, but I we're mean, never also peop- going to go above this line. A lot of people speak up for Tommy Boy. Certainly, they do. Um, more than any of the others, for sure. More than any of the others. Uh, I, I my fellow my fellow Americans, it, it's a, it, that's 
that's really interesting because I I put I put this movie and that one in the same camp where you know I'm far more enamored by the people involved in the movie than the right. movie itself. <laughs> so I am also far more enamored with the people in it and also with the idea. I loved yeah. the idea of my fellow Americans. And I'm not going to say it was a terrible movie, but it just didn't reach, you know, it didn't hit my it didn't reach my expectations of what I wanted for it. You needed you needed it to be made in the 60s with uh, Billy Wilder. Yeah, there you go. And you could have the same cast. You could yeah. still have James Garner and Jack Lemmon and it would Right. It would be it would be like one of the classics. <laughs> I I suspect you are correct. Now, of our three Naked Gun movies, this is by far the least successful. They upped the oh. budget this time. I mean, they upped it a lot. They went to 30 million dollars on this one. That's opening... all on screen. <laughs> I'm not I mean, you know, it, Put to the wrong, you know, put in the wrong direction, but it's up there on screen. I'll give you that, yeah. Yeah. But uh, opening weekend of 13.2, only 51.1 in the USA and the world. And Fatigue. Yeah. Franchise fatigue. Just franchise fatigue. It feel, I mean, looking it back at it. does have 54% on Rotten Tomatoes, though, which I thought, thought was high. I think it's a li- I, I I don't think it's as I think it's as high as you think it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're already getting into this is getting complicated, Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I I don't. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I would maybe go like ten percent lower than that. Yeah. I was five, thinking five ten percent. Yeah. I was surprised it wasn't <laughs> in the thirty-nine to forty-five range. Oh, I I would say thirty nine is too low. I would I wouldn't go lower than forty five. Well, I think forty five to fifty five. I I have a feeling you you like this movie a little more than I do. I do. Yeah, it's not a feeling. It's true. <laughs> and yet, I, and yet, I, don't I, think... I don't. I'm. I guarantee you, I will not dispute anything you say. In the podcast, right? It's one of those. I guarantee you that I, I will. I, I can. The reason why I think this is a bad movie and why ultimately it's a failure for me is because I think there, there are pretty much two sides to every successful joke in this movie, <laughs> where, mm-hmm. where you know I feel like even if the outcome of the joke is successful, I, I, I don't think the joke should be there, and the, the Raiders game. Is a perfect Line example. Is almost the perfect example of that. <laughs> well, that and and when they do, I believe when they're breaking out of prison and they end up inside a Los Angeles City High School, right along yeah. the same lines, because of course all the children at the high school have Uzis and right shoot them and they're gangsters. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's another another great example. It's it's interesting, you know. I, I I feel like a lot of what there's there's we talked in the previous podcast about okay, Naked yeah, Gun, go ahead because I two and two and a half, and like how that movie ended. No, not necessarily. I, oh, okay. How. 
how successful the the running gags were in that movie and oh, the yeah, through yeah, lines. Yeah. The comic through lines and the running gags were were exemplary. Sublime. This movie doesn't have any running gags. It right. has running prejudices. <laughs> yes. Its jokes are organized around prejudicial themes. Chief among them transphobia. Yeah. And I would say number two position is kind of either racism or uh, misogyny. I, I, I'm, I'm still not decided. They're on, on equal the, par, probably. Yeah, the, exactly. The fact that I'm not decided uh, is beside the point. The it's fact not that a good, I'm yeah, having, right. The fact <laughs> that I'm even having that debate means there's a problem here. There's a problem in the movie. Correct. So Well, and I think there are structural to problems to this movie, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. So, for instance, we talked in the last episode how there is no retconning or reason for why they're in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So, to Gloriously. me, the yeah, the funnier thing, like, but this movie's right back in Los Angeles. Yeah. To me, I think a running gag, gag for the all the movies should be New City Every Time. Yeah, except, go somewhere else. Yeah, not uh, L.A., not D.C. Now pick a new city. A counter argument to that would be that because it's the third in a trilogy, there's the t- the there. They wanted to do a fourth though, and they didn't because of the lukewarm reception to this movie. That's interesting because I didn't get. I got the. I mean, not only is the word final. Well, we know. And the final is not that never the final. Come okay, on, so Tom. That's not a good, How good long argument. have we been doing this? Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I got the sense that, you know, that they wanted to do that thing where, whether it's to comment on this or whether they're just doing it organically because of where they are in the franchise, looping back to the original, like bring, bringing right. back the villain from the original, making this movie structurally like the original and how it's structured around. I think you're playing two... fast and loose with the original villain. Pap smear. I get what you're saying, yes, but he's not our main villain from the first no, movie. No, but I think he I think he's brought back as a nod to the original movie. Yeah, he and, is, absolutely. Um I I can see them doing that. However, unlike the second movie where I was always certain that they were parodying and pastiching these tendencies. I, I I don't know. I don't get that from this movie. Right. That they're necessarily always on top of the, the cliche in the same Well, way. and here's, here's the, uh, I want to ask you this too. Fans of this podcast know that we have talked at length about the Tremors movies. And we at length talked about Tremors 2 Aftershocks and Fred Ward not being the right vehicle for the Tremors series. Mm -hmm. When you have your villains set up as Ricardo Montalban and then you bring in Gould. Gould? What's that? Goulet? Oh, sorry. Goulet. There is a Gould in this movie, but it's Elliot Gould. Correct. So, so Goulet is the next person in line you think of, Fred Ward? No, not not necessarily. But so that I... was my other problem. I want a on par Goulet Montalban villain. 
Right, except that I... Given that they're doing a comedic pastiche of white of Jane Cagney's White Heat, he's mm-hmm. he fits into that mold. Whether that's the right choice for the movie, and it probably isn't, is a different story. But... That's all I'm saying. I don't think it's the right choice for the movie. And it fits with the tradition of again, cast- big Fred casting... Ward fan. Yeah, I just would have done something different for the movie. One of these days, we'll find a Fred Ward movie <laughs> that know. uses Fred Ward well. Um, Remo Williams. Sadly, <laughs> not a sequel. Sadly, not a sequel. It uh, announced it would have a sequel. Never did. Hmm. But I like... Um, I appreciated it in the tradition of casting the person who would be cast in the straight version of the same story. Right, no. Like I can tell, you know, if someone did like a made-for-TV re- remake of White Heat, you would probably put Fred Ward in it. Sure. So I appreciated it on that level. I agree with you that that, I agree shouldn't, with be you our on that. Cent- that shouldn't be our central villain by any means. He should be the henchman as Anthony James was in right. the last... That's the role he's fitting into. Yeah. Why that's carrying the movie, I I don't know. I mean, there's not much movie to carry, right? I, I was I was gonna say that. I mean, this is shorter than the previous two movies, which By don't go beyond one twenty five, right? Um, it's also uh, I it was also comment... feels long to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say that I like the you know like I'm very fond of the cold open. And and also overall, I like the closing set piece. But when I thought about the idea of a closing set piece, that doesn't really um, describe what is easily a third of the movie. That's what I'm. Yeah. I mean, the third in Naked Thirty Three, Naked Gun Thirty Three, and the third is is the, the Academy Oscars Awards. Moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. That's, I mean, that's an, an another, you know, another uh, factor here is there's, you know, one one of the set pieces is over a third of the movie. Well, I honestly, I think because if you take the prison set piece as right. a whole, that's another third. Yeah, maybe even a little more. <laughs> it's like you have an Untouchables send up. Followed by prison, followed yeah. by Oscar ceremony, roll credits. What do you think of the the Untouchables cold open? Well, for one, I was surprised that, because I have not seen this movie since the theater. I thought you were going to say you haven't seen the Untouchables. I was like, oh, Mike, God, we no. may have to stop the podcast. What are you talking, Tom? <laughs> it's not like Get- you. I'm not like you having not seen Stakeout or 48 Hours. That's like an totally insane different. person. Totally different. <laughs> no, but I hadn't seen it since the theater, and I, I, I honestly could not believe because I'm such a fan of the Untouchables yeah. that I had completely forgotten that front scene completely. Interesting. And as I was watching that front scene, I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong about thinking I didn't like this movie as much because <laughs> yeah I know I I'm enjoying this feeling. immensely yeah, yeah. you know 
Uh, well, let's. I, I'm glad you had that experience because I really like that sequence. I've actually used that sequence in teaching before. Um, mm-hmm. on um, the differences between cinematic parody and pastiche, because it's a parody of a scene from a movie that is already a pastiche of another movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that the that scene in the Untouchables is is uh, uh um recreate shots from Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin. So that's the pastiche version and this is the parody version of that where strollers are flying down the, <laughs> the steps. When, once you once you get into the half a dozen strollers. But you're, I also you're like, firmly I, you entrenched know, in parody. I, I like the fact, and we talked a little about this in the in the uh, um, the previous podcast that yeah. it's just far enough in the past that it's so yeah become ripe for parody again. And it's interesting you say that because they originally had that idea for the second movie. Yeah, and that they would make did way not think, sense. and they did not think that they were far enough removed. Oh, good from the original movie, and so they just didn't do it. And it's a. I thought, as apart from, they also you know, thought like maybe not enough. Even though Untouchables was a popular movie, instant classic, really. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. But they they felt maybe enough people hadn't seen it yet. Oh, interesting. For whatever reason, so that's why they that's why they, you know, did not. Well, that that logic works for me. I also think it's a great way to reintroduce the central trio. Like I think. And re- it's really the last time we get them as a central trio right. in the entire movie. So it's actually, it's actually, I think, a really nice way to bring bring them back together. Um, you know, and and then and then there's this sort of stuff about it which is just interesting. It's not negative or positive. It's just interesting in terms of the franchise. Like they really like celebrity impersonators in this franchise. I'll say, I'll yeah, Clinton right? and the Pope. Um, <laughs> and then there's the dark side of this. So one of the my overall thoughts about this movie is that, uh, like, I like two of the set pieces. It, um, I two have of more the three. Of a, more trouble with everything that's in between them, and yeah. also some things that are in those set pieces. Yeah, <laughs> and nothing really escapes. Nothing's uncontaminated here, and the fact that we're going straight in with mass shootings with assault weapons. Yeah, right. Um, you know, like even in this kind of seemingly innocent movie parody, the 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 film's already managing to offend people with disabilities. Latin Americans, and it ends with just a hint of how wrong this movie's gonna become, with O.J. Simpson catching babies as if they were footballs, yeah, and then celebrating. Right. So this touchdown even, dance, even this great set piece, which is a great opening to the movie, has a real dark side that tells you more about what's about to come. I think. Well, I and cannot disagree with that i tell you what why don't we take our first break and then we'll come back and we'll dive deeper into naked gun 33 and a third right after this
I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing... Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult. Tom. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should get something out of the way. <laughs> I don't think we could talk about this movie, A, because it has O.J. Simpson, but B, because it also stars Anna Nicole Smith. Without yes. discussing it, uh... the inherent tragedy surrounding these two people. I mean, O.J. Simpson's going to be in handcuffs, I think, three months after this movie comes out. Yeah. In fact, I mean, maybe I'm remembering wrongly, but... Isn't... No, no, carry on. I'm, I've, got a lot, I've got a lot to say about how Naked Gun factors into the O.J. tragedy, but, but I'll save that. Carry on. Well, <laughs> save it for what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like what? Come on, <laughs> launch. What do you? <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, I don't want. I, I, but I, I feel like, you know, this is. If you've yet to watch this movie, this is. Oh, this I see. Is your, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. This is your trig. This is your trigger warning. Yeah. Okay. You will be triggered in in different ways, by things that really have nothing to do with this movie as a piece of filmmaking. Correct. Purely about who they've decided to cast. Well, because you and I have already discussed that O.J. Simpson is better in this movie than the other two. Like, he's already coming into his own comedy-wise. Coming into his own and forming a really good comedy team with George Kennedy. Right. Like, really good. I know. Some of my favorite moments in this movie are the two of them working together and... You know, while I love him, I love George Kennedy and Nielsen together, I kind of think that he and Norberg are a bit more of a natural fit as a uh-huh. double act. <laughs> and I hate thinking all this. Right. Don't, That's the l- thing. Listen, yeah, exactly. Don't, right. Don't, you know, if, if you think, if it's like, what, why am I listening to this podcast that's standing up for O.J. Simpson? It purely in, in comedy terms... He's working really hard here, and he's doing a great job. Um, I will not disagree. One of my favorite moments in this movie, and and this is just on this most recent uh, viewing, 
when they when he and um and Ed when Norberg and Ed drop by uh Frank Drebin's house um to give him a, an assignment and he says you, you know coffee I said I just made cupcakes right. and yeah. brings out some coffee and Ed's like playing it down, like no, 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 we just ate, we're fine, we're fine. <laughs> and then there's a there's a perfectly timed pause, and right. then OJ Simpson yeah. chimes up saying, "I'd like a cupcake." I'd love a cupcake. <laughs> and that coffee smells really good, and yeah. it's just like, I just I really I I laughed out loud, and I thought I thought wow, um, he's uh, and this is what made me think of that great documentary that we've already mentioned, OJ Made in America, right. One one of the talking heads in that documentary, and I think it's actually one of his lawyers, or certainly someone who was involved in his case, I can't remember on each side, said that when he got up on the stand, well, it wasn't on the stand, when he got up in court and tried to put the, the glove, glove on. on that provided the basis for the defense's, you know, rebuttal of, of the case, that that was his glove. And he was kind of, he was miming trying to put it on and getting frustrated because it didn't fit. Right. I think the lawyer said it's like he was in pure naked gun mode there. <laughs> and, you know, once once you realize that these events are, you know, are like a year apart. Yeah. You realize that you see the continuity between them. You see oh, that man, it's the, that, does, that, like, that like makes it worse, doesn't Jesus? It does. It make it's like he, the skills that the, the 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 kind of performance skills that he's building up here and that are in that are in evidence. Because in court, you would call what he was doing mugging for the camera. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like you you have that horrible feeling without that tr- that comedy training ground of working with. George Kennedy and Leslie mm-hmm. Nielsen and the Zuckers and and Abrams, would he have been able to pull off that moment in court as well? And right, because he's communicating no. to the jury. I mean, he's saying, "Not my fault, guys. Trying really hard doesn't fit. Not me. Just not me." But, but for some reason, I mean, he's he's not just in this movie. He's in all of the Naked Guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for some reason, and I think I know why. This not just its proximity to the actual events which he's most notorious for. I think I understand why this is harder to watch, um, because that that Made in America. One of the revelations of that movie to me was that the L.A. riots and the O.J. Simpson case were one and the same. Yeah. Like you, you, they are completely interconnected. Um. And in this movie, you have both of those things, <laughs> both yeah, right. of those, yeah, yeah. both of those background stories play a part play a part here. in this movie, right? So I think that's in a sense, it's like it's it's not just the fact that it's O.J. Simpson with what we know about what will happen to him. Yes, the fact that it's that that is coming very soon, but also the fact that it's against the background of the L.A. riots, which this movie explicitly discusses on uh, discusses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> disgustingly discusses yeah, on right. a number of occasions. Uh, yes, more than once. That that's why I have a harder time, you know, separ- <laughs> separating it. But in t- you know, if you wanna, if you wanna just kind of completely turn off your moral compass for like 
an hour and a half, you would go. It's not even. It's an hour and fourteen minutes or an so. Hour and fourteen Tom. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like you'd be like, he. This is a fucking great performance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what he did. This is a great performance. Now don't cut that bit out. <laughs> don't cut out the rest where I'm saying I feel bad about this. Don't just put that in the editing, okay? That's I will put I you in the jackpot. I promise. <laughs> Well, what about so, the but, other side of this coin yeah. with Anna Nicole Smith? Well, I mean, she's less certainly. Le- I mean, she's less notorious, culpable, yeah. right? Like the the reason that you find O.J. Simpson's hard to watch is because you should you don't feel like you should be celebrating this man's successes, right? Right. With with Anna Nicole Smith, I it's just this. It just everything I think because it's so much about her objectification mm-hmm. and you know treating her as a like a circus curiosity almost. That yeah, you're right about that. I I just kind of feel you know I just I just feel sorry and bad for. I mean, she may have murdered her husband, but um, <laughs> I believe that's part, I believe that's part of the story too. Is she may have actually murdered her husband, uh, but um, so I don't feel too sorry, but. Uh, you know, there's just an air of tragedy around everything she does in the movie. Um, just a, uh, just, just a kind of general sadness. Yeah. Which I think if you cast another actress in that role, um, you could have done something really interesting with that part. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's funny because in the last movie. I mean, it's only a a bit part, but the the woman who says, "What is this? Some kind of bust?" Yeah, that you know who that is. That's um, Henry I, yeah. Henry Hill's girlfriend from Goodfellas, right? Whose name? And she actually can... tragically died. She had a oh, she died shortly after that movie. She she had a heart oh a, a, some sort some sort of virus that that went into her heart, and killed her. Oh so we have tragedy all over these movies. We're doing but, comedy movies, people. Yeah, right. But my <laughs> overall point was was that particular Rossi, Janice that, Rossi. <laughs> in that scene, like that's a well-written joke. Is this some kind of bust? And he's playing, you know, Leslie Nielsen's playing the straight, hard-boiled cop who's looking at her in the eye and then looks down and says, well, yes, it's very impressive, but let's move on to other details. Yeah. And there's none of that No. for Anna Nicole Smith or this character in this movie. This movie's all at her expense. All at her expense. Yeah. She, she's, just, she's, just a, she's just a piece of meat um, to play And so off. in that way, the movie, you know, it's just it just feels less smart. It feels less... For lack of a better word, when we're talking about the Naked Gun movies, it's less sophisticated, <laughs> comedy-wise, you know? Well, we've already said on a number of occasions that you need to be sophisticated about how stupid you're being. Exactly. Or it doesn't right? work. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, the one of the stark contrasts in these movies is, is, like, what they do with Priscilla Presley's character versus what they do with Anna Nicole Smith's character, because... Yeah, out of nowhere, in... she's a lawyer, <laughs> right. Well, yeah, there's that. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's that this movie is just uncomfortable with women in the workplace. Yeah. So everything that's like 
progressive and vaguely feminist about women is a is a subject of of derision derision but um beyond that what i kind of mean there's a number of moments where you can you just you just see you can see like a stark contrast between how anna nicole smith is being objectified by the camera and how they're almost refusing to do that with priscilla presley even in the moments when the joke depends on that Mm -hmm. like the scene where she comes out in her lingerie which is fitted with neon signs to all her genitals you're right yeah (laughs) um and uh you know and uh, lady parts and it's and they have a back shot of her while she's clearly making her tassels fly yeah yeah and they do that with i mean it's obviously like you know it's a it's a dirty joke but they do that with such respect for the actor like she's not in a form-fitting piece of lingerie that the joke is being sold because the joke is funny not and it's it's like actually we don't need her in like sexy lingerie. The joke works better if she's not in sexy. If she's lingerie, in ridiculous but... lingerie, yeah. Exactly, and and it just seemed to me that like yeah, that's where. And you know, I don't know if Priscilla Presley was, you know, part of those decisions. I hope she was, but um, it certainly seems to me that you know there's a double standard here and and one one is the kind of right way to treat women on screen even when you're doing the kind of jokes that are about objectification you can still right. do yeah, them yeah, in a yeah. way that doesn't involve victimizing the actual actor that's on screen yeah and they know how to do that and they did it in the last movie and they did it in the movie before right then and they're doing it here with one of the actors but not one of the others I know we're jumping around. Um, you know what we haven't talked about at all in these movies is the opening credits car. Yes. I really like all the car stuff in this. The water slide, Star Wars, Jurassic Park. Well, yeah, and, and this and it introduces And this movie the fe- does a lot with... Effects? Well, no, well, but like with shit that came out the same year as it, as it did. You know, it's, you know, Jurassic Park... And, uh, well, more specifically, Shawshank. Yes. I mean, it seems like they're doing a nod to Shawshank, but this came out months before Shawshank. So is that a happy accident or, you know, with the letting out of the dirt stuff in prison? Well, I mean, it's at that point, I mean, it's, I think, I think, you know, they pulled, they've, they pulled off the kind of pastiche illusion that we've talked about in previous movies there where it's like it's all prison movies at once right it's about knowing the conventions like the back of your hand and being able to just kind of throw them out there so that you know in the eye of the beholder it could be any prison movie even ones that haven't been made yeah (laughs) because they're all essentially the same and that's when you know this these filmmakers are just on fire i think when they when they can do that and there's there's only a few moments of that in this movie but i think that is one there but with regards to the contemporaneity of of the references again i think it's a, jurassic you know, park the, was just the year before and that makes their right their opening credits and and what year is wayne's world 2 94 mm. 2 or 93 93 i think did they? Yeah, you might be right. 
But basically, I mean, the point out. I'm making is that they have a Jurassic Park joke in there too, and it's really the same joke. So I think when it gets so close to to the time of filming, it makes it difficult for them to come out with a parody that can actually do anything with the material. Yeah. It just has to be the thing that everyone knows and recognizes. Whereas even you go back, you even just go back a little further to the untouchables, you can start to mine it for something interesting. Like, you know, exactly what you were saying about them picking it because they wanted a little time to elapse and they also want people to, they want to draw attention to that movie. Right. Rather than just reflecting what, I mean, now... I almost think of that scene from The Untouchables and this is interchangeable. And I think that's what they were going for. Yeah. Like, I forget which moments are in which movie. But when they do the Jurassic Park stuff, sorry, geriatric park, um, Mm -hmm. it just kind of, it just limits them. But this, I mean, this movie is thematically about movie parodies because over a third of it is set at the Academy Awards. And even before that, they set out their stall fairly quickly in I think the opening credits that we're gonna have a lot of a lot more movie straight movie parodies and pastiches here. Mm-hmm. The fact that the movie is the story exact storyline of White Heat almost makes me think of like Airplane, where you're you're actually yeah, like using, airport, right? Yeah, using the story of Airport, uh, not just the references. You're actually you're using it to structure your screenplay, and they definitely use White Heat here. Right, but I always um, like the. I like the non, of the time references a little bit better. I like the stuff like you know the the references to the Great Escape in this movie. Yeah, you know, being in the cooler and. You know what my favorite. And... You know what my favorite piece of movie satire in this movie is, and it's such a slight moment, but it 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 just shows that that does Zucker Abrams. Um, canon is at its best when it's picking out cliches and conventions from like classic Hollywood of the 50s and 60s and it's the beginning of the Academy Awards set piece where they're doing a giving a lifetime achievement award to an actor who was in a right. bunch of sword and sandals epics yes. and they're putting like clips from them on screen the most homoerotic imagery yeah. you could possibly imagine <laughs> and for those of you who don't know that's exactly what these movies were Are like. like yeah exactly yeah but and then they cut to him and he's this this like old withered guy in a wheelchair and it, it and he fought, and then the he falls asleep and the look on his face too yeah it, it looks like he's barely present you know and you know i, I it's it's funny both because what it's saying about the movies that it's commenting on is very true and very funny but also you know we can all think of the of of those moments in award ceremonies where this kind of things happen and it's always a little uncomfortable right <laughs> that there's someone so old and so distant from what and so different from what they're being awarded for yeah, that there is something inherent, and and I just think that's where they nail it. Unfortunately, there's about another twenty five minutes right. in yeah. that sequence. It just keeps going. That's the big problem here. But right. it never gets to me. It never gets any better than that. All right. Well, before we go to our second break, let me ask you this fundamental question because we talked about it. I think in our last episode where we said, 
we said, hey, they they did at least pick up this story right where the second yeah. one left off that he's retired, but they absolutely didn't have to do that. So yeah. in your mind, should they have done that? Is Frank Drebin retired the way to go? Because I'm not saying you don't have plenty of good jokes with him in the home and the cooking of the bit, you know, the baking and the cleaning and all that stuff. I don't think they stuff. are good. Jo- I don't think. I mean, they're not morally good jokes. No, no, no. I don't no, even no. think. Not, I don't even think. But I, I'm saying it lent to funny stuff that we like, like with Nordberg. I don't. I even love think some that, Muffet. You know. I don't even think. I think the 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 clash. I I think that scene is funny, and the kind of the the contrasts between him, his old life, and his new life are. But so much of that is tied up on. Just jokes gender about politics, gender fluidity, and yeah. how how grotesque it is for a man to play a role traditionally played by a woman, and vice versa. And I, I, I don't find anything funny about that idea, and certainly not the way it's executed here. So, um, I also think you know we talk about car- carbon dating in this movie. Oh yeah, none of these movies mine that kind of carbon dating, but sometimes I think. It's accidental in a way that maybe they've not intended. Like first finding Frank Drebin in a grocery store. Something about that montage feels like it could only be from the early 90s (laughs) in a movie. It feels like something, you know, in the same way when we watched Highlander 2 for a a watch along, it's like there's a dressing up montage in the movie which comes out of nowhere. The 70s. And you're like... It's like, you know, no clear indication this movie is made in the early 90s. And I think the grocery store hijinks montage is pretty much the same um, feeling. Um, So, I like the continuity aspects. Because, like as we said before, they're under no obligation to, to create a, like a story through line here. If they don't want to, so I like I like the fact that that it go, but then they re- but then it's pointless because you know they retcon that Priscilla Presley's a Jane is a lawyer now, for, yeah, you know so, and there's so much inconsistent, you know they're about to try to have a kid. I mean he's sixty eight, she's nearly fifty, yeah, I it's know, like right? <laughs> yeah, so it all sort of doesn't doesn't matter, and yeah, I don't think. I don't think it was a bad choice. Okay. But Fair enough. I don't think we I don't think we I guess I I kind of kept thinking, wouldn't it be better if we were in his last two weeks? <laughs> you know, sort of lethal weaponish. Well when you say that, of course it was a bad choice. <laughs> Alright, so let's right. take another break and then we'll That slight back. adjustment you have a twenty a movie that's twenty times better. Yeah, right. Wow. That's all I'm saying. This is a master this isn't a podcast, this is a screenwriting masterclass. <laughs> I'll take care of it in our pitch. <laughs> Alright, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. 
Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound-related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we are back yet again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the Peter Sagal sequel... Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult. So, Tom, I feel like we should get down to this. Well, do you, do you have more to say about the prison scene before we get to our sort of final set piece? Uh, we, haven't, the, we haven't talked in depth a lot about the prison scene. But yeah. The, it's mostly feel- just getting rid of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, and my overall feel, you know, I was going to say one thing about the prison scene is that, like, this, this it's very clearly, it's perhaps nowhere clearer in the movie that you can make the same jokes about the same movie conventions and you can take out the prejudice and it doesn't compromise the joke. Yeah. So all this prison stuff is shot through with a kind of homophobic right. racist le- you know the joke is always leaning in that direction and for every single one of those jokes you could pull race and you could pull homosexuality out of it and the joke would not suffer is my feeling mhm so that's just my feeling that i thought it was a shame and overall a bit of a waste because what obviously the conventions that they're pointing out are ripe for parody. Prison movies are, are sure. some of the most formulate movies out there. Um, and it all revolves around the same, you know, since since White Heat, you know, which is 1949, they've all basically been the same. <laughs> and, and the fact that Shawshank Redemption doesn't break that mold, uh, it just, you know, it just does something magnificent with it. Yeah, I would say. Um, shows that this is exactly where they should be aiming, but I don't know. I'd like to say nothing. Nothing is uncontaminated in this. There's no. There's like the, the pure gag is there, but they they just they make all well, and that's part of my overall my biggest problem with this movie is sort of that un- what you're discussing right now, the underlying tone, yeah, the leaning of this movie towards both race and and a fear of homosexuality. I mean, then the, the, on t- as a second layer to that, there aren't the brilliant quips and one-liners. This movie's really devoid of that, you know. Mm. Six They're foot few three, and far between. Yeah, six foot three with you know had a mustache. Six foot three, awfully big mustache. There's no those those lines aren't in this movie. And you know, there's nothing. And it's when replaced they do... with, with, you know, like a midget at a urinal. I was going to have to stay on my toes. It's, it sounds funny when... <laughs> sounds funny when you say it. Um, <laughs> but I don't... I Again, it's like... 
I think one of the things I, I've I've learned a lot through talking to you about these movies because it's easy to think that that a comedy movie hangs on its jokes. But almost the opposite is true. If there's nothing in and around those jokes tying them together, mm-hmm. you almost might you 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 might as well not do them. Almost, mm-hmm. like I can think of. There are some great one-liners in this movie. I like my sex the way I play basketball, one-on-one with as little dribbling as possible. Yeah. You know that they, they they are there, but there's nothing tying them into this brilliant through line, which the last movie did so did miraculously so well. well. Yeah. Um. And building on building on those lines, turning them into something, uh, and that's... I liked. Uh, you know, one I did like was the nurse at the sperm bank, because when he comes in with the pretend broken arm, mm-hmm. and he doesn't realize he's at a sperm bank. Yeah. So he's trying to explain how how he got his arm, and she's assuming. So you know, he he's saying, yeah, we were just you know out out playing ball in the with my uncle, yeah, with my uncle in the backyard, that kind of thing. And yeah. but her her line is when she gives him the cup, and he says he says, wait, I'm supposed to go in there. She says, well, it's not exactly the backyard, but <laughs> yeah, well, there that you I go. Like. There's a there's a there's a successful set of jokes, right? And a, a moment similar to that where I feel like. You know, we get these glimpses of really good comedic screenwriting, but they're all very segmented. Yeah. And then they they say nothing about the overall quality of the movie is is uh at the end of the Academy Awards when there's a standoff with Fred Ward and they're trying to figure out like how each of them get away. And he eventually ends up with him saying, This is getting pretty complicated, Rocco. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> And again, that that's you know all the jokes are building towards that punchline. That joke, line. yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, you know, my favorite joke for some reason, my favorite joke in the entire Academy Awards set piece is the Mother Teresa musical. Oh, really? I laughed out loud when when that when that hit the screen. But again, again, that really tickled me. <laughs> and that only proved, you know, that only supports the argument that. The further back they go in cinema history, the more, right. the the better the jokes are. Um, but because I re- I remember just how det- I think it's not that those lines aren't there, but they're just so detached from the overall quality of the movie. Like they even resort at one point to just kind of panning across the police squad office and have people on phones talking to like citizens. Yeah, calling in. And the lines that they're saying are hilarious. One of them is, no, sir, in this state, killing a gang member is just an $18 fine. Just mail it in. Yeah. And right. it's like, it's like these are good lines, but there's nothing, they're not coming organically out of the situation. Right. And they're almost like writing off those moments as, as, as in the same way that they do like background gags. But it's yeah, not the right, same right, thing. Right. Like that has to come from, it's not on the side. It's got to be part of something bigger. Part of, yeah, right. Well, Um, and I, you know, because sometimes, for instance, when they're uh, practicing the the bomb, so they have a real fat man and little boy Oppenheimer thing going on. Yeah. But then they tag it with Beavis and Butthead. Which, Which is interesting because 
they don't know in 1994 that we still know, we'll still know in 2021 what Beavis and Butthead is. Right. Because I think, especially the older generation, were very disdainful of that kind of comedy as kind of flash in the pan only appeals to Generation X's uh, kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. That it'll never last like, you know, a good Jack Benny routine or something like that. <laughs> um, but in fact, the opposite's true. It's like, oh, <laughs> it's become timeless. It's come back again and again, and it's still and our again. reference point. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I mean, I never in my lifetime thought I'd see Fred Ward as Butthead in anything. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but it's it's interesting because it's kind of but they never could have predicted that this piece of comedy that everyone thought was um was just an early nineties phase would still was be not. as popular today yeah. as it was then because it's it because Mike Judge is a genius. Um Yeah. And so it's Oh, you know what I also forgot was um I thought it was so interesting that they took this pot shot. You probably don't. I don't know that you know him, but they took this pot shot at Steve Howe, the pitcher. He was a pitcher for the Dodgers right. who constantly was getting into trouble for uh, drugs and cocaine. And he was suspended like seven times. Mm-hmm. And Drebin has this line about, you know, Steve Howe and... Not a not a Steve Howe last chance, you, right? You know, and I just thought, a, I couldn't believe that the name Steve Howe jolted my memory of, oh my God, yeah, Steve Howe. But this and is and then right I thought the, of thought of right all the, the people pocket. that probably were saying, who the fuck is Steve Howe? <laughs> this is right in that thirty year pocket of your perfect memory, right? Yeah, exactly. I think you remember things. <laughs> From 30 years ago, better than you do yesterday. what happened yesterday. I do. You're right. Any, any, I, I've talked about this before, but anyone <laughs> who wants verification of this, listen to Michael re- recall from memory the plot of Highlander 2. He he does that. I was whole, saying it so assuredly, does, too. <laughs> he does that, that opening scroll. Basically, word for word. And he hadn't seen that movie since 1991. Okay, I'm just going to say. Yeah. Um, it's very... Yeah, it's... it's. I guess, uh, well, we should go on to talk about the last half of the movie, which is the Academy Awards. Which is the Academy Awards scene. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, highs and lows. Things I really like about it. Yeah. I, love, I love the fact that... Uh, I mean, it's a it, whichever way you look at it, it's almost foolproof in terms of being a comedy satirical goldmine. There's so many sure. jokes you can make. Of there, yeah, there's there's no end in sight for the number of jokes you could make. However, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, this is a 76 minute long movie, and I do have a note here that said at a certain point I thought, okay, let's find an end. Wrap it up when we go back to our, what you know, our our fifth visual take of Leslie Nielsen rope dancing behind Fred Ward. Yeah, so I just kept thinking, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's you, go. You're not wrong. I think. I mean, I didn't know that they wanted to do another movie and that this was a fake 
a fake end to the to the franchise that they were forced into that position because I felt that they were just trying to give Leslie Nielsen like a a full a on sla- a full on slapstick number to go out of and I didn't begrudge them that and I was entertained and charmed and it made me miss him and all yeah. those things so I felt very positive about you're not you're absolutely not wrong by that <laughs> it's more that by that point we're just so fatigued yeah by the sequence that it does lose some of it, perhaps some of the charm that it was supposed to possess. Because it, it is, you know, I know he's an admirer of Chaplin and the old silent movie greats, and I think this was just to give that full expression. Um, so I was a, a, appreciative. Um, I liked uh, all the stuff in the booth with the that, director. That actor is great. I mean, that again, it's great. like... You cast a Tommy Moto from Presume Innocent. From Presume Innocent, exactly. You cast the right guy. <laughs> what a you great can, poll. <laughs> you, you cast... You, well, that, just people say his name so much in that movie. I, I will never forget that he right. plays that character. He's played so many great characters over the years. Um and he's yeah he's excellent even and the the guy who was the who was old george in seinfeld as the conductor too does a great kind of mime based performance as well mm-hmm. um and you know i like the altmanesque quality of it in like having real movie stars in there right i'm glad they didn't come up with like the ersatz elliot gould and raquel welsh and that we got the real thing yeah and um james Earl jones is one of my favorite lines in this movie where he's, he's like he says it looks like looks like Phil Donahue throwing yeah. up into a tuba. <laughs> Just to think that you know he saw the script and saw that that was his big line. It makes me very happy. Um, Can't so, disagree. And you know, and I can see looping. You know, they're trying to do something. They're trying to outdo the baseball stadium sequence from the first movie. It seems to me, in terms of like a big set piece with a live audience, that feels okay. I get, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but it's oh, it's 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 overdone. Um, although I think I like the fact that there's a live audience there, and that helps with mm-hmm. <laughs> helps us know when to laugh. Um, yeah. in the same way as sitcom and they play with that idea and that's well there's the, there that's the thing I mean I think you kind of hit the nail on the head because there's so much to celebrate in this last set piece mm-hmm. but it is a little overbaked so it, it like it is kind of bringing a pie out that's just a little burnt on the top and you're hoping if you take a knife and <laughs> get rid yes. of that that top. <laughs> That it'll still be delicious under you know so it's just it's just it's just singed a bit much, yeah. To and continue I mean, with contains, the metaphor, but it, you know it, it happens to contain, and by by no means is the only part of the movie that does happens to contain for me the most. Oh, I don't know. Now I'm saying it's the most offensive part of the movie. I just got a flash of three other moments that are that are <laughs> that are in the same awards category. <laughs> okay, well. Like, why, uh, why don't you give them to us, and then we'll have people vote <laughs> <laughs> instead of a instead of a picture sequel poll? We'll yeah, do right. What's the most offensive joke in in Naked Gun Thirty Three and the Third? I mean, overall, just because there are so there's so much comedy targeted at trans people in this movie. Yeah. Both the fact that it's revealed that Anna Nicole Smith is a man. The fact that it's. Mm-hmm. Hiding behind a movie parody of the Crying Game, 
Yeah. I find really also very dishonest. So those two things working together, like basically the culmination of all the anti-trans humor in the film, but pretending that it's just poking fun at a movie that just came out that had this controversial moment in it. Gotcha. Bullshit. Um, <laughs> the Rodney King reference makes my heart hurt. Mm-hmm. I almost turned the movie off at that point. Right. Well, yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah. And bleach my ears and eyes. Eyeballs. <laughs> um. So I, I guess those would be my those would be my top two. But you know, you just don't. Get, it's like even even in the sequences that you like, there's always something that is just intolerable. Just a little off. Yeah, it's just it's it's yeah. not acceptable. Um. And then it ends on a miscegenation joke. Great. Good good job. As always. With which involves OJ Simpson, which doesn't make it. Which better. doesn't yeah, it's is not helpful. Uh it's yeah, so it's really really hard for me to to me to to kind of get over those things. And I yeah. It's sad. I mean, this is such a. This is. A, I. I have such fond feelings for this movie. It's really hard for me to admit I all have this. Fewer fond feelings for it because of everything we're talking about. Well, this. This is the. This is the movie that introduced me to the concept of tongue kissing. <laughs> oh, that I forgot that you had. Yeah. You had sexual history with this movie. Right. Yeah. So the the first time anyone, you know, because when you, when you grow when you're growing up, you get advice about sex or you know and and its related acts, um, mm-hmm. piecemeal from all kinds of different sources. So I don't think anyone I'd ever heard like straight up that you know, the line it's like how how do you I don't remember how it comes about. I don't know what the setup is, but it's a line about, like, how do you kiss or how do we do that? And he says, mm-hmm. you just stick your tongue as far down someone else's throat as possible. <laughs> and I was like, that's the most bold anyone has ever put that to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that answers a lot of questions. <laughs> it took this movie to do it. Amazing. So... You know, and I, I, the the other part of this, and we didn't. Well, we mentioned the grocery store montage, but the other thing I wanted to say about that was, I remember as a kid watching a Saturday morning British television program for kids called Going Live, and actually it might have been Live and Kicking by then. People who know know, and if All you right. don't, you probably it already sounds like. A different language to you, um, so just go with it. As it and does to Leslie me. Leslie Nielsen. This was after all the all the Naked Gun movies, and Leslie Nielsen was promoting a comedy golf video that he'd made, and they showed a little. What, I can like remember Dorf? this clear, like a com- Like I could remember. It was like it was basically you know. Was it, it was, with Tim Conway? No, it was like in in the era where you know. 
home video were doing a lot, you know, they would release instructional videos with some kind of entertainment personality who tried to make it fun. Yeah. So it was just like, and I just remember like a clip of him like doing comically bad golf swings and farting whenever he hit the ball and that kind of stuff. And the grocery store montage, for some reason, everything he was doing in that sequence made me think of him in that comedy golf video. That's funny. Um, So I have so many associated memories of this, but it's 2020. It's 2021, and some of these things are just not on anymore. And they weren't then, but we didn't know they weren't then, or we turned a blind eye to it, or who knows. Yeah. But... It's so much of this movie is wrong, and I'm not quite sure why it's. Maybe you can reflect on this from for me. Why is it much more wrong than um than the last movie <laughs> or the or well, the original Naked Gun? I think because overall the comedy of those two movies is just better. A more balanced, maybe and, less yeah. targeted at minorities all right. the time. I, I don't not, know. I I think because we talked I, certainly I talked at length in the last episode about how uncomfortable I was with police brutality in that last movie, and that hasn't changed. But the movie overall is a better written movie than this movie. And I think that just helps you to forgive it. Comedically, that movie's yeah. impressive. Comedically, this movie is not as impressive. So you, it's just not you, as good a movie. If it was a better written movie, do you think you would give the transphobia and... and <laughs> Still, the, that, that but, would be but my... Then, but then to, to that point, you know, there's no... It's all tied up with the same problem because there's no... There's no way that you get a successful joke out of deciding to take on Rodney King and the L.A. riots. Yeah. The subject matter is at that certainly at that point in history. I mean, what? How far are we away from the actual events? Right. Like months, years. Months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is just nothing funny about that subject. No. Something that just occurred just occurred to me and I not thought about it before, it the, a big contrast from the last from Naked Gun two and a half. Do they ever is the joke ever at the expense of someone who's in power in this movie? Aside from Hollywood. Oh, that's interesting. Because I can think of numerous. Just J. Examples. Edgar Hoover. But, but they're only they're only doing that because it's a trans joke. Because it's Let's a trans joke, it. right? And I'm trying to think of like when because you know, as uncomfortable as it is, because that's not a joke about him in power. That's he right. just happened to be a man in power. As uncomfortable as it is to you know watch Barbara Bush being brutally beaten for entire minutes of the last movie, the implication there is that, you know, we're taking her down because she's the first lady, not because yeah. she's an elderly woman. Um, and I can think of numerous examples in the last movie, but apart from, unless you take Hollywood as an elite, and you only really do that if you're a horrible right-winger. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the joke is always at the expense of people yeah. at, at the so-called lower end of society. That you know, people. Um, you're right. You're totally victim, victims right. of po- victims of police brutality. Um, prisoners. It's in so that's an interesting turn. For. For a movie that I mean. Yeah, it's just it's 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 interesting, like this the the way that the targets of this movie have narrowed to certain kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, you're right, and not spread among. Like, where's all the jokes about the Republican Party here? Where did they all go? Well, maybe they where's felt the new they gig- did that in the last movie and had to send up the left, the Hollywood elite. What about like Newt Gingrich trying to take over Washington? I mean, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right at this time. Just it's 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 interesting to me. I mean, I don't think these movies should be should be politically partisan. I think the balance of the last movie and where you're taking pot shots at both sides mm-hmm. when you know when they're worthy of ridicule makes more sense makes but, more sense and you're right about you know that that the movie's less concerned with that but this is a more political movie in some ways in terms of like talking about political issues rather than party books right but i think that the Again, this is what we're running into with these older movies is just the idea of what we thought was what we thought was okay to make comedy out of back then. I suppose it's the the Rodney King moment. And mo- they were just wrong. The Rodney King moment makes me think like how did anyone ever think let that get past that this was a that this was a, a right joke to make at this time. Mm-hmm. I wonder, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 but I don't remember anyone objecting at the time. So you, you, what you're saying is clearly true. Mm-hmm. But I just, it's like how. I mean, it's thirty years. You expect standards to change, thinking to change, but it doesn't feel that long ago. Yeah, and the L.A. riots had just happened, which seems like enough of a watershed moment. I guess not in people's thinking. People have to catch up to what that actually means. Like, I mean, it was a revelation. Well, yeah, I think they back then they had the complete wrong idea of what it meant. Yeah, so. quite. So I, I, I think that you know it's like documentaries like made made in America that because I you know I watched the O.J. Simpson trial from from the U.K. where it was largely a soap opera. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not connected to it in the same way that people living in America or especially in Southern California would would be able to go. Yeah, the L.A. riots just happened. Of course, he's going to get off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's just, yeah, these are like it took that documentary for me as an outsider to go. Oh yeah, he had no chance of getting convicted in that particular moment in that particular city. Yeah, clearly right. Um. And just just to round things off, one the most disturbing moment from that documentary for me 
And I wonder if it's the same for you. And it's related to O.J. Simpson and comedy, so I don't feel it's too much of a digression. Go ahead. In the later sections of the movies, which of the movie which to me was the revelation of that movie because I mm-hmm. did not know what OJ Simpson did after he got off. I'm finding out all those things. Like I had some familiarity with the trial, with his career overall. I did not know what happened when he was like released between him, between him being released and going back to prison. That was the most fascinating area for me. Anyway, when he moved to Florida, you did okay, you didn't know that? No, no, it, I I knew something about that, but I I didn't wasn't paying attention to what his life was like. Oh, I see. And it was all like, did you know about the book? I knew about the book. Yes. Okay. What I did <laughs> not know about was that he was in a reality show, right? Yeah. Where he would go around Florida in disguise and prank people, and the clips Ugh. from that show, I swear, like my heart stopped. I was it chill. I mean, it literally like I I was chilled to the bone. But right, yeah, it just made like. And when I was watching him act in this movie, I was like, I was thinking, <laughs> thinking if you take you take out all you know every, his personal life, it's like, well, he's just using the skills he acquired as a comic performer to make a piece of entertainment. But the <laughs> idea that O.J. Simpson could creep up to you in disguise. And he was in, like, white face in a lot of these disguises, I remember. And you would be pranked and then revealed that you were pranked by O.J. Simpson. I can't think of anything scarier. No, yeah. And for some reason, those clips, like that montage of him, like in the opening credits of that, (laughs) the scariest thing I've ever seen in a movie. (laughs) And all right, that is a good place to end it. (laughs) My goodness gracious. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we started talking about Naked Gun 33 and a third, and we've ended on social and political politics. If you would like to solve this problem for us, find us on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Send it. Send us an email to everything sequel at Gmail dot com. If you want to solve the problem or just yell at us, let us know. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. We will be uh, coming to you next time with our pitches for a final naked gun. Say goodbye, Tom. You might end up dead is my middle name. (laughs) All right. Until next time.